Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. You can find out everything there is to know about the VBC on our website, www.veteransbreakfastclub.org. On there, you can become a member. Uh, you can check out what our upcoming schedule is of both online, our Monday night happy hours at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and our in-person breakfast here in Western PA and around that region. Uh, you can sign up for our free quarterly magazine, check out our blog, listen to the scuttlebutt. Uh, it's a great website. Please visit it. Uh, you can check that out right down there in the description. As for today's episode of The Scuttlebutt, I will have on the chair of the Military Chess Committee, Rob Getty. Uh, he is a longtime Navy veteran as well uh, as a longtime chess enthusiast. Um, if you've listened to The Scuttlebutt for some time, you know that I love chess. So being able to reconnect with the Military Chess Committee uh, and have them back on to talk about all things chess is just kind of a passion side project for me. Uh, many years ago, I had on Jim Hollingsworth. Uh, Rob Getty has taken that position in recent years. So we get to dive into a bit of Rob's service, uh, what got him into chess, how chess actually got him into the military. And for those of you who understand a bit about chess, talk a bit about uh, what his favorite openings are, um, how the tournament is set up. Uh, as every single year for the past 65 years, they've had an Armed Forces Chess Championship who the best branch is, who might be a Dark Horse favorite uh, coming into this year's tournament in October. Uh, a lot of fun stuff today, and I hope that you enjoy the episode. Please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always reach out to me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the show. Joining me now is Rob Getty. Uh, Rob, I'm really excited by this, this episode. Several years ago, I had Jim Hollingsworth on. Uh, he, at that time, was the chair of the Military Chess Committee. You are the current chair. Um, people who listen to the scuttlebutt know that I have a passion for chess, because uh, I'm, I'm just sort of giddy about being able to get the chance to talk with you today. Um, but love for you to introduce yourself. Welcome to the scuttlebutt. Thank you. Uh, Rob Getty, I'm a retired commander for submarine forces in the US Navy. Uh, currently work as a Navy civilian. So still uh, working with Navy, uh, Naval Service Warfare Center Dahlgren. Uh, been a uh, chess director since uh, I was a high school senior back in 1990. Um, currently a national TD with the U.S. Chess Federation and a FIDE Arbiter on the international side. And uh, like you said, currently chair on the U.S. CF Military Chess Committee. I also serve on the Ethics and uh, TD Certification Committee for USCF. Fantastic. So, summer, uh, do you go by, is it submariner or submariner? Uh, yeah, you will get people arguing passionately both sides. I always say uh, it's a submariner. Some people say, well, that we're not below a, a mariner, but I think it's like, okay, a mariner works in the marine environment, a submariner works in a submarine environment. But uh, you'll find people passionately arguing it either way. Awesome. Uh, now, you've been into chess for quite a long time. We'll we'll get into that, but you have a story about that's how you got into the military. Yeah, actually, I uh, started a chess club down in Southern Maryland uh, uh, at the college I was attending, and the chief at the local Navy uh, recruiting center was a member of the chess club, and I'd gone to his office once just to play some chess in the afternoon, and he was like, oh, you need to talk to Lieutenant Elder up in the D.C. Uh, who does the, the nuke recruiting programs. And uh, I was flipping pizzas uh, full-time in the summer and part-time during the year to pay my way through school. And the idea of leasing my soul to the Navy for five years to be a Navy nuke seemed uh, intriguing. And little did I know that they had exercised their lease and an option to buy. So uh, 
29 <laughs> years later, I retired. <laughs> oh, so you, you spent a very long career then in the Navy. Well, 10 and a half active and then the 19 in the reserves. So wow. did two boats, uh, Michigan and Alaska. And uh, my wife and I were ready to have kids and sm- babies and submarines don't mix very well. So we ended up uh, deciding to shift to the reserves and uh, did a lot of submarine escape and rescue in the reserves. Uh, some other odds and ends, uh, some time with a, a science and technology unit with ONR. Uh, my last job was the fleet historian for Sublant, uh, which is an awesome job. That was a great, <laughs> a great Twilight uh, tour. And uh, so, uh, what did so you yeah, like about it? What 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 made it so great? Well, it's a case where I was embedded into a Sublant unit, but I worked for the Navy History and Heritage Command for my annual training. And so we'd do things like you'd get a phone call saying. Hey, the guy who's the senior Navy civilian SESer is retiring next month. Can you go down and capture his story uh, in a, a history interview? And so we would sit there and be going out and talking to to interesting people, and then uh, cataloging their story. We'd have to format it so that researchers and our people down the road could find it. That's actually one of the the other things that we would do is they have decades of material up there that was taken in but never properly ascensioned to be available for researchers. So you'd sit there, if you had a spare week, you'd go up and you'd just be reading through these transcripts and everything or listening to these audio conversations and trying to put a, a, an index together so a researcher who's looking for something specific like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I stumbled across uh, something from the former CNO of the uh, South Vietnamese Navy talking about his escape from uh, Vietnam during the fall and wow. having gone out and then stuck in a boat that was uh, had the engine die in the river, unfortunately having a destroyer come by and taking them out. Then uh, he got missed by the people looking for VIPs, so he did like a three-not-to-nowhere slow cruise to, from the Philippines to Hawaii before they recognized who he was. And just Things like that. Uh, yeah. Across a, a war patrol report from an EXO of a World War II sub that got stashed in there. And uh, you're like, oh, wow, neat. So <laughs> that's so, fantastic. Um, so taking a step back, when you when you said, okay, I'll join the Navy, what did your family think? Were you from a military family? Um, third generation Navy, but the first to do it by choice. My grandfather mm. joined the Coast Guard in summer 41 that pulled him in for World War II. My dad had a low draft number in Vietnam, decided to join the Navy as opposed to uh, being drafted by the Army. He actually got his draft letter while he was at his Navy training. Uh, He was on USS Lafayette, and so he'd been a submariner also. But Mm -hmm. uh, So I had a little understanding of what I was getting myself into. But I have an aunt aunt who's a retired uh, Army uh, nurse, uh, uncle who's a retired Air Force pilot. uh, So they had a lot of military in the family. I bet your dad was sort of like, whew, whenever he got that draft notice, I was like, well, I'm already here. I'm, like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, he knew it was coming. But, wow. uh, and was it him or, you know, your grandfather? Did they the, Are they the ones that taught you chess? Uh, my dad was the one who taught me chess. But, uh, yeah, so I started playing casually uh, at home, at schools, uh, played a, some some random scholastic things. It wasn't until eighth grade that I had a – actual chess club at school I started doing stuff with and then uh, 
started actually didn't join the U.S. Chess Federation until I was a high school senior. We, we were doing some scholastic back in the, the JTP program where they had the uh, case where kids who were doing school tournaments could uh, have free memberships just to play only in the school mm -hmm. tournament. And uh, then I just got interested in directing. And uh, there was a I was living in Mississippi at the time. And there was a nice gentleman there who did almost all of the Mississippi directing he recognized i had an interest in it and so he uh was starting to pass back in the era of pairing cards and everything no no computer pairings so he'd let me sit there and, and try to pair around with the cards and come behind me and show me what might be better or what was good what was bad how to do transpositions and things like that so mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of the new uh the current directors never have used pairing cards so it's uh they, they've never had the the Ability explains people of the well, how, how these transpositions work. How did, why I'm supposed to be playing this person? Why am I not playing this person? Yeah, so makes it a little easier to explain. The, okay, well, look at your pairing history, color history, and whatever. So and pairing as in like in the in in chess speak, in pairing as in pairing somebody up against you that is of the similar skill set. Uh, pairing referring to assigning your opponent for the next round. Okay, so in the as opposed to people who are used to seeing the NCAA tournament bracket where one's playing 64 and two plays 63 and it's all mm -hmm. set up uh, where you know who you're playing throughout the round. For most big chess tournaments, they use the Swiss system, which basically every round takes your, your score into consideration and pairs you against somebody who has a similar result where they take the top half and they pair them against the bottom half. So if you had 16 players in that point group, one through eight plays nine through 16. And uh, so, but you will sit there and you don't want someone playing three blacks in a row. So you might have to sit there and flip some people to make the, the color alignments uh, assignments to work out. So you, you get nowadays uh, the high level tournaments, you almost never see people come in on time because all the grandmasters, international masters are up in their rooms on chess base, looking up what their opponent plays. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so they get really, uh, they, they have an expectation of who they're going to play. They want the pairings posted early. And uh, if, if you, if they're not playing someone they expected to play, they, they want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> so how long after you first started playing when you were a kid, were you able to beat your dad? Um, Probably somewhere in high school. So he was pretty he was pretty advanced and able to kind of like teach you through openings, middle games, end games, and really just like develop that passion, or he just sort of played? No, he just sort of played. It was my I had a coach in, in eighth grade who was one first taught us uh more opening theory and stuff like that. Was it that early passion that like what what about the game really drew you to it and kept you playing? I don't know, it's just it's something where I uh, always enjoyed playing chess because it was, I mean, you, you, you have to think strategy, strategically and tactically. You have to think ahead. It's not just random luck where, darn it, I rolled a seven and I didn't roll a nine, so I didn't win. And, right. Um, so Game of just, life. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, just, it's just, Always felt good to play. So I'm actually on a little bit of a hiatus uh, from rated chess right now. I uh, 
had three very bad results in the last three tournaments I played, and I just needed to say, okay, guys, take a step back and uh, just sort of regroup. With, uh, that's like a lot of post-COVID that we still have people who played a year or two online and their their strength is a lot higher than their ratings, so there's still some uh, shaking out happening right now where you're playing people whose rating indicate they should be at this level and you're supposedly here, but they're really playing at that level. So when you lose to them, it still, by the system, makes it look like you lost to somebody a lot weaker than you are when they're actually stronger. Very so yeah. it'll, it'll probably still take another year sort of shuffle through that and get all stabilized. Yeah, I know the tech boom and sort of, and that COVID, and I, I went through that myself. Like COVID hit, I turned 40, and I was like, I always loved chess. I always really enjoyed it, but I never understood it. And then I sort of said, okay, well, you know, maybe it was a midlife crisis, but I sat down and said, I'm going to start to learn this game. And I mm -hmm. think one of the first things that sort of really surprised me about it uh, was it wasn't just moving pieces. I thought, you know, as you sort of go basic theory of just like take the center, connect your rooks, you know, get your pieces out. You start to like sort of develop that sort of idea, but then you start to get into like, oh, there's three phases to this, this game. And you're playing all three phases. You're not just trying to like rush in and, and checkmate as fast as you can, because that can really backfire. Um, right. So, you know, you get into the Navy and you're continuing to play during this. Did you know about the, the U.S. Armed Forces Chess Championship during this time? I knew about it, but historically, all the Armed Forces stuff happened in the D.C. area. And I, I was uh, stationed on the West Coast and so never had a chance to to play any of those events. Uh, I, I would every now and then play in, in Washington Open or uh national open in vegas uh every three four years i try to slip down there and have a uh little mini chess vacation uh uh down there but uh yeah it wasn't really until i got back into virginia that i started getting more active in the military chess so playing the armed forces open and also starting to work for the virginia chess federation the state uscf affiliate uh Two of the people who were very active in directing and organizing in BCF, Mike Hoffpower and Ernie Schlick, were both military veterans. Ernie was a retired Navy. Mike was a retired Army colonel. And so uh, that sort of pulled me into a little more of the military activity from being involved with them. Uh, so they're, they're very good mentors to, uh, to have. Uh, Mike's still on the executive board of the U.S. Chess Federation as former USCF president. So, uh, Would you say that one of the first lessons you maybe learned while playing chess, and I think I, I learned this, but I, I would be interested as another, you know, chess aficionado to hear that their idea on this is it, it makes you a good loser. It should make you a good loser. I mean, there's definitely people who don't subscribe to that. Uh, you, you see all types playing, but I mean, I always try to tell people I learn a lot more from a loss than I do from a win. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a loss, you can sit there and you can say, okay, what did I do wrong? Um, that's why you always tell people, even if you don't have to write your game down and annotate your, your your chess moves you should because you'll never be able to go over the game later and look at it and get better unless you've kept a record of the game 
Um, same thing even for a win. I can't count the number of times I've won a game and thought, wow, that was a brilliant move I made. And then you go look at it a little closer and go, oh, yeah, I guess we both missed that that actually was a losing move. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, no, I think that uh, uh, yeah, definitely you should understand more about well, – you, you can't win them. I mean, it's just like people who get insane about performing in sports and you go, hey, the, the greatest hitters of all time got on base 30% of the time. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's, you're hitting 300, you're you're an all-star. So don't mm-hmm. don't be surprised if you don't always win. Well, even the best in the world now, you could you name a, several names, but Magnus Carlson, probably a lot of people maybe listen to this, may know his name. He loses, loses sometimes, and it's just like – it's amazing to break down the games that those guys are playing, but as a beginner, it's very difficult to look into those games because they're seeing this, they're seeing chess at such a different level than where you start at. Um, right. You know, so well, uh, for, for beginners, though, you need to start off, they, they need to be taught right. I mean, you have to sit there and, and I mean, you almost want to start with end games with, with someone learning so they know what they're, they're headed towards. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I remember one time I was directing in the state. Uh, Virginia State Championship, uh, classic championship, and there were two little kindergarten girls at the end of round four who were one had a king and a queen, and one had a king, and the queen's in the corner, and they're just playing chase the king round around the center of the board because she didn't know how to win with a king versus queen. She just well, they just just happily chasing each other for. <laughs> um, so you, you need to you need to know how to, to do the end. Plus, I always uh, believe that as far as people getting frustrated when they're always losing, when they're starting, handicap it. Take a queen off the board. Take a queen and a rook. Take a queen. I mean, when, I'm, when I've got people at my local chess club on the base uh, coming in, so learning, I may have a queen and both rooks off the board to make the game even. Um, I hate it when I see people making bad moves intentionally to let their, their opponent win. It's like, well, that's not teaching them anything. All that's teaching them is that if you move your queen where it can be, be captured for free, your opponent might miss it. That's not... <laughs> Yeah, not, not the lesson you want to make. You want to sit there and have them trying their hardest and just handicapping until it's even. Then they get a little better, another piece on. Gets a little better, add another piece on. So that's a great idea. Can you uh, remember that first tournament you were in? Were you nervous? The very first tournament I played was a fourth grade tournament among some other schools with people who didn't really know how to run a chess tournament i was not nervous i just because when you're when you're fourth grade you just assume that oh you're the best kid in your school you must be the best kid out there <laughs> and right. uh, uh i just remember that was more of a case of learning that you really have to know what you're doing organizationally wise because there were three of us who ended up tied at the end and their decision for that was well we'd uh, have two people play one play game, then the winner of that one play the third one, and one kid volunteered to play the first game, and the other kid and I were like, no, 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 <laughs> they they made a slip of coin, I lost, so I had to play the first game. I won that one, but I lost the second game to the other kid, so I finished second. But I, I still remember the organizers came up to me because the kid was upset. The other kid was upset. He well, he'd only played one game, so he was third place. He and I should play again for third, and mm-hmm. I'm like going. No, they're like, well, it'd be a really good sportsmanship thing. Like, you got these adults on this 10, 10 year old. Oh, it'd be a good show in sportsmanship. No, I already beat him. You want to make it sporting? Make him play the kid who finished first. See if he beats us both. 
And if, and if they win the other way in their three-way tie, now it's up to you to figure out what to do because <laughs> you didn't plan a good good tournament. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. No, I, I've, I've never been nervous playing chess because it's not like it's life or death. I'm, I'm I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it for. Plus, I mean, I went probably twenty years between winning money and a, a chess tournament. First time I ever won money was I won fifty bucks in a tournament in Mississippi because only two people showed up in my class, and it was basically a coin flip between the two of us of who was going to win. I just happened to to beat them out. Then I went like twenty years before I won any more money, and I think that was like a six-way split of a $17 or so residual prize. So, I mean, I got like three bucks and I'm telling the organizer, no, no, don't even bother sending me a check. Just uh, <laughs> keep it for your club. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't play for... I mean, there, there are people being grandmasters, international masters. They're playing for prize money. They're playing for stuff like that. But Sponsorships. Yeah, the rest of, the, the rest of us, I mean, I'm just playing for fun. So it's... I mean, I... I I never get upset when I lose and I played well. I get upset when I lose because I just made some stupid blunder. I mean, that's right. That's frustrating. Yeah, it's hard not to get down on yourself whenever it it you throw the pawn out there and you you know you blunder your rook and you're like, why did I just do that? Like, what, <laughs> what process in my brain thought that's the best move right there? I'm gonna do it. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. as you be, as you uh, started serving. Uh, did you continue to play? Uh, you know, I mean, like casually on on the ship, not on the subs. Uh, not a lot of time on a submarine to play chess and get the board set up. Uh, a lot of people played spades and hearts uh, on it. Uh, cribbage is the the traditional submarine game, but only a few people played cribbage on on the boat. Uh, Mostly, if you had any off time, you're always about three weeks behind on your sleep, so you're focusing on that. So, I mean, in the, in the, in the off crew, when I when when I wasn't at sea, I'd, I'd try to play chess here and there. And uh, uh, when I was on shore duty as an instructor at Trident Train Facility, I, I was able to play a few more tournaments. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the uh, while I was active, I didn't have much in the way. When I was at, at sea, didn't really ever play chess. So. Mm -hmm. What would you say? What would you say is your best win that you've ever had? Well, rating wise, it was when I was accused of cheating. Interesting. Uh, That's big in the news right now. That that yeah. yeah. So, uh, but uh, the, really, my best one was probably in uh, Texas at the Armed Forces Open about uh, three years ago. The one Jim Hollingsworth organized. I uh, managed to pull off a draw against a guy with about 500 points rated higher than I was and uh, was deliriously happy with, uh, with managing to salvage the draw. So the, I, I had beaten a, a rated expert one time in my uh, chess career back when I was in college in Richmond, Virginia. And I, uh, it was a four round tournament and uh, they did two rounds really fast time control and two rounds of a slower time control. And basically uh, for, for chess players, they're broken up into masters, experts, then A, B, C, D, E. And theoretically, you should beat a person who's the same relative spot of view of the level above you about three times out of four. 
two two groups up, you should run about nine times out of ten. So um, so I was playing a guy. I was a Class C player, and I played a Class A player the first round. Very older gentleman who obviously was used to being very slow and methodical. He just ran out of time. I didn't win. He lost. Yeah. But still, I, I, I won. Wins and, a win. Uh, yeah, wins a win. And uh, then second round, I played a very low-rated expert, and I won. And I'm all happy. And some of the masters who were playing the tournament started saying I was probably a sandbag. It was someone who would artificially lower his rating to be able to win other lower prizes. Mm -hmm. I said, no, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I played the Atlantic Open last month with at least 10 people who are, are in this tournament who saw me playing. Uh, there were $1,200 worth of class prizes in the Atlantic Open. I didn't make any money. Why would I throw a $1,200 class prize tournament for a tournament that has a $50 class prize? And they said, well, we still want to see your game. Sure. So we went over into the little side room I've got my score sheet, and I start going through my game. About seven, eight moves into the game, they're, they're all smiling. And they start saying things like, do you realize you just hung your knight there? And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't I didn't see that. And they're like, well, he didn't either. Hmm. And they're like, well, hey, hey, you realize that this loses to this? No, no, I didn't see that. Even at the very end, the guy could have dropped his bishop on a diagonal that was controlling my queening square for a pawn and guaranteed himself a draw, and he didn't. And yeah. so I ended up winning the game. And so they went from obviously you're a cheat to not only are you he threw the game to you to lower his rating back below the threshold of being an expert and an A-class player to be be uh competitive for A-class prizes. And you played so poorly that you really made him work hard to lose the game. So that was sort of embarrassing that uh they went from, no, you're not cheating. Actually, you played so badly that he really had to get creative to lose to you. So, still, wow. the books as, as I an expert. And then the sad thing was I played a master in the third round who thought I was just a Christmas gift to come early to play a C-class player when he was still in prize contention. Yeah. And lost to him. I lost to an A-class player in the fourth round. I didn't even win the stinking C-class prize because I had two wins and two losses. And I went to a guy who started lost, draw, win, win came up from the bottom oh man so so yeah so it's 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 tricky yeah because cheating is one of the the hard things that uh we're having to worry about now from an organizational perspective i i occasionally will direct for the charlotte chess center and uh grant and peter who uh run uh charlotte are very uh proactive trying to work on anti-cheating measures we do random uh metal detector checks of players uh mm -hmm. looking for any sort of hidden devices uh you've got bathrooms that are segregated off of players only so you can't have any spectators going back in there so no one can be swapping off things and uh yeah i mean because you're trying so hard to make sure everyone's having a fair fair uh, tournament and right. uh it's just a sad level some people will go to to try to win when it's not. It's like, why? I, I caught a guy cheating in the Virginia championship years ago uh, when they first started allowing electronic score sheets. Mm -hmm. So you have basically a little Palm Pilot type thing for, for score sheet. And uh, this guy 
won his first four games, was winning his fifth game. And we had some people say that they'd seen a previous tournament he'd done where just he was playing better than he should have been. And we were trying to keep an eye on him, but we hadn't seen anything specific. And in the fifth round, he was playing a kid who I had watched at the state scholastic championship for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. I'd seen him lose. I had never seen him crushed. And this yeah. kid was being crushed. And so just uh, for complete, I went over just to look at the guy's score sheet, electronic score sheet, just to make sure nothing out of the ordinary was wrong. As soon as I come over, he kid powers it off. And so I just reach over, take it from him, power back on. This kid was uh, at one of the STEM high schools. He had hacked the electronic score sheet thing and put a pocket fritz on it. So he had a chess engine going right there. Live in right in front view. of him. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, and he he later claimed that he'd only done it this tournament, that he'd never done it at previous tournament, even though the previous year his blitz rating had stayed flat and his over-the-board rating had shot up. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, that's that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, uh, blitz, when you're not taking score, you can have access to the cheating. But... Uh, Part of it, I think he had parents who were teachers, and like you sit there and go, you when, when you're when you're a kid, you may not think through all the consequences of mm -hmm. you cheat once, and all of a sudden everyone's so proud of you. We knew you could do it. Hey, great! And now even if you only meant to cheat once, you sort of feel like now you have to keep cheating because you uh, now you don't want to disappoint people of a certain expectation. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah. It's, it's, tricky but uh yeah we're just uh yeah you never want to have anyone uh accusing you of cheating that's for sure but, no uh, definitely uh, so when did you start to get uh you know more more closely uh connected with the chess federation military chess federation and getting involved with them um the i started playing the armed force open when i moved back to virginia mm -hmm. Uh, played it a few times, and then uh, uh, Captain Tom Belk, who had been the Navy rep, the way the Military Chess Federation is organized, uh, or chess committee is organized, is, is there's a, a representative from each service branch, and we, we rotate through taking turns organizing and hosting the Armed Forces Open. And so the, the captain who had many years been the Navy organizer was ready to stepped down and so inquired was i interested in, in taking over for him and uh of course the bad thing was that the first year was my turn to do it was covid we'd uh planned on doing it at the naval academy and uh then the naval academy closed all but essential activities so right it ended up being a turned into a small invitational down at captain belt's uh, business in, in virginia beach but uh but yeah so it was a case where uh there aren't that many people who are are organizers and directors who also are military so it's a small enough community that uh you're able to know a lot of this a lot of the same people <laughs> and uh i was asked if i was willing to do it i had some time to 
start giving back and uh right so willing to take that on so uh it's it, it's tricky to organize for the armed forces open because it's a free tournament we are doing this to uh support the mil support military chess uh, and with it being no entry fee you also have to work hard to find a location for the event we try to do it on military bases so we don't have to pay because that's usually the biggest cost for any chess tournament is the, the playing site um so traditionally it's been done in the dc area i mean it's been uh henderson hall fort belvoir uh uh different places around here down to norfolk uh uh and uh the went out to went out to colorado uh, for the air force academy once and this year and, it's going to be the 65th and it's at the u.s naval academy in annapolis this year in october yes yeah. back at back at the naval academy which is a, a a good deal for all the service academies because the, the 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 cadets and can stay uh, for free at uh, the the naval academy just like when we went to West Point the midshipmen mm -hmm. could stay at uh, at West Point so it keeps the service academy's costs down to do that so but yeah we're really looking forward to it being there in Annapolis it's a beautiful it's site. Is there a score kept over the years? Like you, can, you know, anybody here can sort of go to Wikipedia, find U.S. Armed Forces Chess Championship since 1960. This has been going on. Has there been a score sheet of like the, the Air Force has won this many times, the Navy's won this many times? Is there a strong, you know, inter-service rivalry? And more, most importantly, who do you think, and maybe as a Navy veteran, you might be biased, is the best branch of the military for chess? It changes year to year. There are some players who've been playing for many years who uh, always, always do well uh, because it's a team championship and individual championship. So um, uh, there, there are some strong Navy players, some strong Air Force players, uh, the Army. Uh, 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 dominated in the inner service uh uh for the service academies competition last year mm -hmm. uh so yeah it, it does really there, there, there has been one branch that that typically always dominates year after year it, there's a lot of rotation as to who is strong and plus like i said with it being a team event also even if you have a person who could win it every single year individually you still need three other players to score well to help uh, uh, from a team perspective. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I've never I've never finished high enough for my uh, score to count towards the uh, the Navy team results. So uh, uh, that, that's my next goal. I've I, I've I've been top D class player twelve years ago, and I was top C class uh, C class player three years ago, but. Uh, I've never scored enough to have my myself count towards the Navy team. So, and I see but on it, on I see on Wikipedia that like two years ago, Addison Addison Lee was the winner from uh, Academy Cadet. Uh, this one was down in New Jersey or over New Jersey. Uh, yes, uh, is he still playing, or who is like the odds-on favorite this year to sort of take the? I I don't know who I would call the odds-on favorite because there. are several former winners who I expect to be playing. Plus, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the active duty side, 
you never can tell when uh, someone who might be a, a dominant player's military obligation just precludes them from playing that weekend. True. So, um, uh, for if you, for retirees, obviously, there's a little more flexibility for for them to do that. But uh, yeah, the military chess itself, it's 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 changed over the years. There actually used to be funding by the Department of Defense for military chess. And so that was also a way I had started getting into military chess functions. I had uh, directed a base championship uh, around 2009, I think, at Naval Surface Warfare Center Dahlgren or Naval Support, Support Facility Dahlgren. And at that time, there was an air service chess championship that, was played to determine who the United States would send off to the NATO chess championship. Mm. And uh, Dahlgren had put in a bid to host the inner service that didn't get accepted. But the Navy said, Hey, why don't we have a Navy championship tournament in Dahlgren? So we can select our representatives to the inner service championship by, uh, by, by people who win the Navy championship, as opposed to historically, they just took the top, the strongest rated players yeah. uh, who applied. And so we did that doll grand. And the next year they asked me to fly out from Meridian, Mississippi and, and hold the tournament there. Uh, and then the, the year after that, their, their funding got cut for, for military chess. And so the inner service uh, hasn't been held, I think since 2011, 2012 timeframe. And so then the, the military chess committee for USCF really took over all those functions. Uh, we've got two people who've been uh, running the selection for the NATO team uh, for for all the last 12 years. And uh, uh, then the, the Armed Forces Open became the military chess event instead of just that and the inner service. And at the Armed Forces Chess Championship, as I'm understanding it, it's not just uh, active service. Veterans like such as yourself can play, and there's you know a separate tournament for that as well. Well, it's a case where for the Armed Forces Open, it's active, reserve, and uh, retirees. Okay, are all eligible. So we have a separate side of. The, so since I'm as a as a retired, I initially was playing as as an active reservist. Then now I'm playing as a uh, retired player. Uh, we have a side event that got started up about five, six years ago, I think, by Mike Hoffpower uh, uh, for a Veterans Open that you can just play having served at any time. So, uh, I mean, it's not the, the biggest term in the world. I mean, we've, we've, I think, had about eight players play the Veterans last year. Uh, I think of the, uh, Jim got about 20 something in the Texas because he really pushed hard for, mm -hmm. for veterans to come in. Um, we typically have about 60, 70 players in the, on the, the active reserve retired side. So it's a, it's a, it's a small national championship event, but it's, it's, it's cozy, you know, a lot of the players. And uh, so it turns into a social too. So. That's part of it. It's that's something I also, you know, really found not just playing online. Online's not very social, but getting into like a group. Uh, I always find it fun here in Western PA. Like I found a, a group of, I call them septa octogenarians that I kind of go and hang out with and just get to play chess with. And usually they wipe the floor with me or 
I might be able to get into like, you know, a semi good game with one, but I, but I'm there to have fun, talk to them, learn a bit of chess because they've had decades of experience playing. Um, well, switching up gears a bit, uh, what would you say, uh, is your favorite opening that you get, that you come out with if you're white or your, your first move with black? Uh, well, I always play the Rui Lopez as white if I have an opportunity. Uh, that's where uh, king pawns come out, uh, white king knight, black uh, queen knight, and then you bring your bishop out to attack the queen knight. That's one of the old classic uh, uh, openings. Uh, and, and I play the exchange variation where you, you exchange the, the, the bishop for the knight uh early on because i don't think that as many people play the exchange variation so it gets you a little to something on your side also as uh, black if someone plays an e-pawn opening there are a lot of ways where normally it's e4 e5 the king pawns coming out and if they follow it up with their king knight if you just go back out with your queen knight standard they could play a Rui lopez they could play an italian they could play a, a scotch they could there's a lot of things you can do. So I've started playing a Petrov defense where you match them by bringing your King Knight out uh, just because it takes a lot of your opponents out of their preparation. Um, that's been sort of my key. Like um, when, I, when I play and someone plays a Sicilian against me uh, where I bring the King Pawn out and they bring their Queen Bishop Pawn out. Uh, a lot of these players have 16, 18, 20 moves of their face favorite variation of they play the Najdorf Sicilian to this and that blah 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 and I just honestly don't have time to memorize 18 lines of all these things so yeah. I play a, a Gallopin, uh which is sort of an anti-Sicilian uh, on C3 a, a second one and it, it is fun I have to admit to see people who've got all their their preparation memorized out to ad infinitum look in their face when they go oh, i don't want to play this <laughs> so, um, how dare you not play the opening i prepared exactly yeah. so um so yeah some of what i do is, is trying to get my opponent out of their preparation sooner than later mm -hmm. uh because i mean i know with between my between my day job and working chess tournaments and trying to get some woodworking in here and there and other odds and ends. And you just, I, I know I would be a better chess player if I was studying two, three hours a day. I don't have that time. So you do what you got to do. Absolutely. Um, so th this year you're, you're chair of the chess committee. Mm -hmm. uh, how are you, you said you were part of some bad tournaments in the pr in the past. How do you, how are you making this, the best tournament that you can make it. Oh, when I say I was part of bad tournaments, it wasn't that the tournament was bad. It's just that my play was horrible. So oh, I lost. Okay. I was thinking maybe of, of that first when you were a kid, like they just no, set no, up no. a. Oh no 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 no! This was a case where I just had three tournaments where I completely played horribly and uh, just needed to sit there and, and catch my breath and stuff like that. Um, so for this particular case. Um, the main thing I'm focusing on for the Armed Forces Open is just some of the extra fun things to do to add uh, some more enjoyment for the players. I mean, 
like I said, you're you're limited by uh, the fact that there's no entry fees. So we do get a few donations, and occasionally uh, the U.S. Chess Federation military chess is one of the things that you can donate to online. But uh, for the most part, being the organizer gives you the pleasure and privilege of paying for things out of pocket uh, that oh, you no. want to do. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah. So I mean, I'm just gonna be trying to focus on on things like historically we try to have some uh, door prizes uh you'll have uh sometimes uh different organizers will donate an entry to one of their tournaments um uh we've 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 had that before uh, a, a a a chess set or uh something uh mm -hmm. we we try to have uh, extras for extra prizes for things like uh the best uh best attack or most tenacious defense or uh, mm -hmm. sort of like your 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 remember the alamo type uh, prize for uh or for holding off in a hopeless defense uh can i ask this uh, question as a as a drill down on something you just said how many chess sets are too many chess sets to own i'm not sure there is such a thing as too many chess sets uh <laughs> okay. I might have to go for the uh, Jack Sparrow of no such thing as too much rum, but no such thing as too much chess sets. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I have the my tournament set, which has the the, the folding uh, roll up vinyl board that I take with me. Mm -hmm. I've got a, a nice wooden set for home use. Uh, I've got a few other older sets that are just lying around. Uh, my aunt, when she was in Russia, picked me up a, a, a chess set with little hand carved pieces stuff like that but i mean realistically two two or three chess sets is all you need in the house but uh <laughs> but i mean if you just happen to pick up another set i mean what's what's harm i mean i've i mean i got uh about two dozen sets in the basement right now for use to mm -hmm. play in, in small tournaments and stuff like that and uh it, it is it to the point the is it to the point where you get the family together and dad brings out the chess set and they're like, oh, here we go. Uh, or it, it, has it become like a passion game within within the family? No, unfortunately, uh, my wife doesn't care about chess. My youngest doesn't care about chess. My oldest does uh, occasionally play chess. Uh, he he plays more chess online. Uh, he, he would go through phases where for a year or so, he'd be interested in playing over the board tournaments and, and doing things. And... Uh, then he'd go a year or two not being interested, and then all of a sudden he'd be interested in it again. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, so uh, I had one year where I got him interested enough that he got his club level tournament director certification and uh, to be a director. And then he, he when it expired, he didn't uh, renew it because uh, yeah, he, uh, he well that was also he was still in high school at that point, and he was not comfortable about making a ruling to an adult uh telling the adult was wrong when he was a high school sophomore type thing he was yeah. okay doing it at our local club because he knew well, one thing he knew all the players at the local club and he also knew that if anyone was gonna yell at him i was right there too so <laughs> no one was gonna yell at him <laughs> well dad was there so uh but yeah, i have two i have i have two little ones i have a you know four-year-old a one-year-old um mm -hmm. What do you think? Because eventually, you know, I'd like, like to sit down and you know, my daughter just kind of moves pieces around the board right now. It's just that's sort of like her dad time. 
But what do you think is the biggest thing that kids learn? And that's just like, you know, thinking tactically, things like that, you know, sort of planning. But as they as you sit down and really start to teach them a game, is there something that that they learn from from playing the games? Well, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that kids learn from playing chess when it's first start off is the concept of planning ahead, uh, thinking about the consequence of what you do. I mean, a lot of times you, you have a kid going on and they make a move and you say, okay, so what do you think I'm going to do now? And they're like, oh, you just made a move. What do you think I am going to do now? Oh, I don't know. Okay, before you make that move, think about what I will do. Oh, okay, so well, you're probably going to capture my, 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 my bishop here that's not defended. Agreed. So knowing that you still want to move this or you want to sit there and move something that's going to deal with your undefended bishop. Right. Oh, yeah. So I'm at that level of, of of looking ahead of what's going to happen, is, it seems to be a foreign concept to a lot of the, the, the new players, but it, it's important to get down, get down to them. It's like when, when, I, when I see kids playing scholastically, they start off and they – the, their their rating is uh, 100 100 because you can't go below 100 <laughs> and uh then uh just the whole idea that if somebody captures you you should capture them back if you can takes a first little prompt jump in their rating yeah and then the the idea of thinking about well What's the consequence of doing this? Takes them up another little jump in the rating. And then the, you, they, they go quite a long time before you even have to understand the concept of there are named openings that you can do this. Because it's just, as long as you get through the concept of things should try, try to control the center, move minor pieces before you start moving a lot of the pawns, get your king to safety. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have all the openings memorized if you just all common sense on some of those things. Yeah, right. you avoid some avoid some of the traps and things like that that uh, are inherent. But uh, but yeah, just the whole idea of planning, organizing, um, thinking strategically. Kids initially only think tactically. They they think what can I do to win win material on the next move. Uh, the idea of hey, I am going to capture your knight. With my knight, the next move. Well, I don't care. Tonight, tonight, we, we're, we're even. Right. But now, look, your pawns are going to, instead of having a nice little row of pawns, you're going to have an isolated pawn here, a doubled isolated pawn here. And when we get to the end game, that's going to be a weakness. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's 20 moves away. Yeah, but I'm already thinking about what's going to be 20 moves from down the road. Oh, well, because a, a lot of kids, they're, they're not thinking what's what's coming down the road they're they're thinking immediate uh yep. what's in front of them and, and it's a good concept to get through their eye their head that you're setting yourself up for success later and that translates to a lot of things not just chess the thing that's ringing in my head is the, the quote from back to the future you're just not thinking fourth dimensionally <laughs> uh what what and, and and in the same vein uh what do you think 
helped you in your military career having learned chess prior? Did did it help you in life? Maybe helped you in in your military career? Well, I mean, I think just the the thinking the the thinking logically, thinking organized, uh, being able to put out a plan. Um, if it's a sixteen chess or in life, you need to sit there and have some sort of long-term and short-term plan that you're executing to and, and have the ability to recognize when you need to adjust the plans because the circumstances aren't the same as when you made those plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I wish I could sit there and give some really profound way that uh, chess planning changed my life. But I mean, it's really just more of <laughs> the, the idea of how you... Uh, you, you, how how you think, how you plan, how you, your thought process is, laying you, out goals. And if at, you love the game, if you put your passion to it, you know, play the game. Like, yeah. What and, do you yeah. think? Go ahead. I was saying, and, and as with anything, if you put your time into it, you're going to get better. So, <laughs> and and chess certainly, as I've learned over the last you know three years of playing, is that the more that you put time into it, the more that you really study it. Yes, that you have that sort of quantifiable like. I am getting better at this because I can look back at games that I played three years ago and say, what was I doing in that? Like, no, like that's not how you're going to, you know, take position and, and damage structure. And, you know, here's a way better move. And there's, you know, that's the sort of learning tool, uh, you know, the, the, the fun about it, I think um, besides like sort of the patterns that I see and it, that sort of like, for whatever reason, just speak to me. I really like the pattern of it. Um, what are your thoughts on the the recent chess boom that, that, Everybody, you know, including myself, sort of like are riding this wave. Queen's Gambit came out. A lot of people started diving into it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I actually remember reading that book, uh, The Queen's Gambit, back when I was in fourth grade when it came out uh, earlier. I guess it wasn't, it had been out for a couple of years, but I, I, I read it all the way back then. Um, I would say that uh, it was just sort of a, the COVID, everybody staying home, looking for something to to do and online chess is definitely something you can do from home uh caused a big chunk of the boom the the popularity and notoriety from the queen's gambit success uh, uh pulled in uh, another branch of people it really caused an interest in in scholastic girls to play um and uh Probably similar to I read once that uh, uh, the summer after uh, Hunger Games came out that archery camps for 10 to 14 year old girls for doing archery just they, they couldn't they, they couldn't put enough sessions in and for all the demand of, of all your 14 year old girls who wanted to go out and learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. Yeah. Um, so I think some of that some of the queen's gambit fervor has has fallen off but i do see still a lot more interest in tournament play now of people who have played online for a couple of years and they want to play over the board against people and then take it to the next level so um so yeah it, 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 it's a positive time it's a good time for chess in general and uh, we'll just see uh, where we uh, steady out uh we uh we definitely uh, are are doing our best to uh, support uh, 
the, the increased demand with uh, having more things. Uh, I did a few of the national scholastics last year and the numbers were just through the roof for participation, uh, mm -hmm. tournaments that might've had, uh, might've had 1800 players for a national championship. We're having like 2,500 players. And uh, so it was, I, I, I had to respond to a, Hey, the Baltimore national elementary championship last year, they, Calling for a local directors who had national experience, going, "Hey, we've got an extra six hundred players than we expected. Can we get some more directors?" Oh, <laughs> okay, <man>. so good. <laughs> it's an exciting it's good, time. Good problem. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, good. Yeah, because I I would think like in some ways it's like chess is sort of sacred, and you kind of want it to be like that sacred thing. But then to see it sort of like expand, and suddenly everybody, it's already popular. It's like, well, wait a second here. It was kind of an exclusive club beforehand, but it's nice to see that, you know, that you want the, the game to just be enjoyed. I, I don't know if I agree it was an exclusive club. I think that for my entire playing life, we've always enjoyed new players coming in and fresh blood. So, I mean, uh, I, I when I when I was younger, I, older players were sort of having the, oh, hey, let's include Rob on this to do stuff so I've, I've never felt like i was fighting my way into exclusive club that's good that's good it's, it's good. good to know that yeah. To, yeah and even the group that i sort of like walked in on and said hey i'm new i'm just sort of playing i'd like to try some over the board they were like come on in like sit down have a game right um it, it was very welcoming and warm and i think that's like the message that i would hope that people that listen to this will take away from this but you know if i walk into a room full of people i don't know who yeah. probably are way better than me how will i be accepted and it's like no i think that that we want you to come and join and play with us and really enjoy what this is and and learn a thing or two you know it's it's not it's it's social as much as it is just sitting over a board and you know moving pieces yep rob i want to thank you for your time uh i really hope that this year's tournament is uh exciting uh i, I do want to know like is it's it, it i don't know if if the games are kept online. Like if I could go online and, and it, down to the final championship, can I look up the game for the U S uh, armed forces chess championship? No, we, uh, we, we don't keep a record of the games. Typically. Uh, we like some of the bigger tournaments, like uh, the capillary chess uh, group, uh tournaments they do up at the Dulles airport they use digital boards for their top 12 or 24 games and uh, so that maintains a, an online record of all those games mm -hmm. uh we since it'll be uh internationally rated we'll keep a copy of all the score sheets but there is no really anyone going through and transcribing that into a database online of, of games uh there will be some of the better games will pull out and uh, send to the Virginia Chess Federation newsletter editor. He's always looking for good games mm -hmm. for uh, the newsletter. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, the the labor that would take to to transcribe all those uh, uh, would be pretty daunting to to maintain that, and, and really probably a lot. Other games, uh, you're gonna see more blunders than brilliancy. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, well, go Navy. Hope you guys uh, bring home the win this year. 
Um, but thank you again for spending the time with me. Uh, I'd love to have you back on, you know, later this year or maybe next year, just to talk about how the tournament went, um, you know, what your pl plans are for the future of it, uh, you know, different things that, that were enjoyable or game that you saw. Um, so exciting. And, and is there a website that we can send people to that we can provide a link for? Um, the the www.uschess.org is just for the main U.S. Chess Federation. Uh, for Armed Forces Chess, that we have a, a uh, Armed Forces Chess uh, page on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, those those are usually the two main things right now. We don't we don't have a separate uh, just military chess website. Uh, it's it's the Facebook page and it's the the US Chess Federation home. So that's where I follow you. A, that's a, how I got connected with you. There you go. Well, excellent. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, and thank you for sharing some of your service. I know we have barely scratched the surface of your 26-year career, um, but uh, love to see you on another Veterans Breakfast Club event here. Uh, and thank you and uh, hope you have an, a good next game. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're grateful for the support of UPMC for Life, a UPMC healthcare Medicare program. At UPMC Health Plan, their goal is to improve the health of their members. They can also help you make sense of Medicare, get the answers and information you need, such as how to choose the Medicare Advantage plan that's right for you. UPMC for Life offers a wide range of affordable Medicare Advantage plans, and you military veterans can save money and get more benefits with your Medicare plans. UPMC for Life has plans designed for veterans by veterans. The type of coverage you have from your service may help you decide which plan will be a good fit. If you have TRICARE for Life, UPMC for Life, PPO Salute may be a good fit for you. You can view plan options, including their prescription drug coverage, compare costs, and learn about all the benefits you get when you choose UPMC for Life by going to upmchealthplan.com forward slash Medicare. Thank you so much, UPMC for Life, for sponsoring the Scuttlebutt. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. Uh, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health has been supporting the podcast for quite some time now. We've been so pleased to be uh, supported by them. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit. Uh, they have classes, nicotine replacement therapy, and a popular quit line, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. And finally, Tobacco Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all about what Tobacco Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org. Or you can check out the two Scuttlebutt episodes that featured Tobacco Free Adagio Health. We had a wonderful representative come on to the podcast, talk to us about all the classes and therapies that they offer. Uh, it was one, two wonderful conversations. So I definitely direct you to both of those if you want more information or just call their free quit line 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Thank you again, Tobacco Free Adagio Health, for your support.